0: This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we bring you the latest information on Storage Grid's new release, 11.2. Well, welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipalk. Zipalk. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm in the studio here, and I have my special guest host here today, uh, Dan Isaacs. Hi. Hi,
1: Justin. How you doing? Uh, What is that?
0: Was that your attempt at a New York accent?
1: Uh, No, it's it's just that, how you doing?
0: Oh, I thought you you were trying. How you doing? I thought you were trying to do something.
1: So, uh, Dan, uh, what do you do here at NetApp? I mostly make PowerPoint presentations, but... I am, I'm actually a, a technical marketing engineer on our ONTAP team, and I focus more on uh, ONTAP performance, do some com- special projects around competitive stuff, and uh, I also cover storage efficiency. All right.
0: So, uh, Dan works in the ONTAP group. I work in the ONTAP group, but you know what? We're not going to talk about ONTAP today. We're going to talk about another thing, and that's Storage Grid. Uh, so, Storage Grid is our object store solution at NetApp, and... Uh, Here to tell us more about that are Duncan Moore and Luke Munn. So, Duncan, what do you do here at NetApp?
2: Uh, I'm the director of the Storage Grid software group. I lead product management and technical marketing for Storage Grid here at NetApp. All right. And, Luke, what do you do here?
3: Hi. uh, This is Luke Munn. I'm a global solutions architect. I work with uh, many, many global um, customer accounts and and, uh, work around Storage Grid solutions.
0: All right. And if we wanted to reach you, Luke, how do we do that?
3: Um, I I have a, a LinkedIn um, and uh, Twitter at, that is at l u k a m u n, but probably the best way to contact me will be the, like, um, my email, and that will be my last name m u n at netnet All
2: right, and Duncan, how do we reach you? Twitter, I'm n c dunk with a c. Sorry, Duke fans. Um,
0: he
1: is wearing a, a UNC shirt why,
2: today.
0: Why? I mean, why is he ragging on Duke fans? I thought you were a Clemson fan.
2: I have two daughters and two college tuition payments, so in <laughs> well, football, you're already <laughs>
0: celebrating UNC with your money. You don't need to celebrate them with your fan <laughs> Yeah, he, he
1: only wears the orange stuff during football season. That is yeah. absolutely spot on. Sounds
0: like yep. a bandwagoner to me. You know, just just putting that out there.
2: But, but but just for the record, I went to San Jose State, which, if people go look in the Mercury News website, was just recognized as being the most underrated university in the U.S. I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not.
0: But. I don't even know how you get to that, that status. Like, like, don't you have to be rated to be underrated? Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. Speaking of underrated, let's talk about storage. Okay. No, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> at NC Dunk at Twitter. <laughs> nice chatting with you. <laughs> anyway, all right. So, uh, we're going to talk about Storage Grid today, and we're going to start with an overview of what it is in case you are not familiar with Storage Grid. So, um, who wants to handle the overview, Duncan or Luke?
2: I can do that. All right. Uh, so, Storage Grid is NetApp's unstructured data management platform, this is a software solution that uh, it can be deployed in hardware, it can be deployed on appliances, in bare metal and Docker containers, in virtualized environments. Uh, What it does is it lets customers build a single namespace that can span uh, up to 16 data centers around the world, store hundreds of billions of things. And I don't care what these things are. They can be anything from a tiny little iot sensor reading all the way up to a multiple terabyte hk or 8k video right um the value that uh storage grid brings is it gives the ability for people to collaborate around these massive repositories uh, around the world um and do it in a really durable efficient fashion it's interesting you can do it in containers how long have you guys been doing that uh, we've been doing container deployments for, I think, going on like two years. We were actually, I know you're a container expert, we were the first production product in NetApp to deploy as containers by default.
0: Excellent. I'm actually not a container. That was Andrew, the other, yeah, that was, the other bearded uh, podcast okay. guy. Okay, sorry,
2: yeah. Rip.
0: Poor, poor one <laughs> Poor one out for Andrew there. So. Um, so as far as object stores go, I mean, what benefits do we have accessing things from S3 versus like a, a block or file protocol?
2: Um so there's there's a few things going on. Um, one, one way I like to explain it to people is to say, don't think of object as this thing being managed by the application. The way if, if I'm writing a file or a block application, a big chunk of whatever that application is, is going to be dedicated to managing the underlying data and storage. Think of object in, instead as a data service to multiple applications. It's something that's sitting there, waiting for you to put things in and take things out um, and allows you, the application developer, to focus on delivering the application value as opposed to doing storage management. Um, you know, what what we'll see is, you know, as... Uh, everyone who's listening has you know lots of mobile apps on their phones and their iPads. Um, maybe it's you know banking or, or other things. Uh, you know uh, Twitter we were talking about before more frequently now than ever, the data that's behind these applications is sitting in massive object storage uh, repositories.
0: okay. And do you guys do any cataloging of this information, or is this just all kind of just sitting out there and things seek out what they need and they find it?
2: Um, What's really cool about this, and and actually quite differentiated with NetApp uh, in the way that we do things, is the object store is kind of self-describing in the fact that you can have rich metadata that accompanies the objects. It eliminates, eliminates the need in a lot of application spaces to manage a separate catalog. We take it one step further. We allow the object store to make sense and decisions based on what's stored in that metadata that's coming with the objects. Like, hey, this is is something from uh, Dan and therefore it's not important, so I'm only going to keep one copy and put it on my furthest away, lowest performance area. This is something from Luke, it's extremely important, I'm going to store it automatically in multiple locations at a higher performance tier and so on. So the catalog is is essentially integrated through the metadata stored with the objects. And then one step beyond that, Storage Grid allows you to interpret that catalog and apply business rules to it.
1: Does it do that automatically, or is this like some kind of policy where you have to train it? So yes,
2: and yes. So it is essentially we have this integrated Policy engine built into the platform. It's almost like having a set of uh, business rules or service levels, and it's up to the the customer to decide. You know what, you know how, what granularity they want to implement these policies. Uh, they could choose not to do anything, and in that case, there's a you know a default policy that's built into the product that says, "Hey, listen, if you don't tell me anything else, I'm going to make uh, two copies of this thing." Um, but there's lots of other options. You know, beyond replication, there's erasure coding and, and uh, different tiers within uh, or performance levels within the object store.
0: And uh, my understanding is this already plays pretty nicely with other ONTAP uh, technologies. So what sort of functionality does storage good offer with those things like ONTAP?
2: Yeah. And so I, I think if you step back and, and you look at folks that have seen NetApp marketing materials over the last several years, you can't help but hear the term data fabric over and over again. I would characterize the data fabric one technology level deeper as having kind of two data paths associated with it. One is the, the traditional SnapMirror type data path, but the other is S3. So we're seeing S3 implemented in more and more NetApp products. You know, right now, and I'm sure Luke is going to comment on this, but Fabric Pool, as an example, as an AFF integrated capability to tier cold data, either active or protective data, Uses S3, um, not just a storage grid, but to other cloud targets, um, uh, other products within NetApp, everything from the you know SolidFire and HCI stack, through OnTap and things developed in the cloud business unit. You know more and more are connected via S3.
0: So um, with with storage grid, are we able to do uh, like the use cases? Are they more archive, or are they more like application based, or are they a little bit of both?
2: Um, So, again, yes. (laughs) So, I think I I would characterize um, object storage use cases as kind of first generation and second generation. First generation object storage use cases would largely, you would think of as things like archive, really cold stuff. And the value that object brought to those kinds of use cases is density and price. It was all about cheap, right? I mean, a typical workload you might characterize as write once, read never. That's the kind of thing people would go, ooh, I need object for that. But What's happened is people have started to see that there's this huge other value, you know, in terms of that data service kind of mentality, as well as this ability to have a namespace that can go across multiple data centers that's put object into much more primary use cases. And again, I think Luke will have some stuff to say here, too. So we're seeing things like repositories for autonomous vehicles, massive media repositories for the creation and, and, you know, collaboration on media assets. So those are really true primary, the only copy of this thing is sitting in the object storage kind of use cases.
0: Okay, so you've evoked Luke's name a couple times here now. And I think the third time is when he appears. (laughs) So I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Luke... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> if you could tell us all about what you're doing right. in the globals, uh, how people are using this, and what use cases they're throwing at it.
3: Yeah, that's right. As Duncan mentioned, at the beginning of the Optic Storage, so we're talking about maybe four or five years ago, uh, when I first started to focus on storage grid, I seen you know, a lot of customers. Actually, you know, going back that much, I had to spend literally half of my time explaining what Optic Storage is. And before I even go into storage grid, right? But now it's actually the other way where the customers are actually asking us, you know, first and 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 you know, requesting to come out and explain about storage grid and so on. So that's the big difference in terms of, uh, of the workload-wise. Yeah, as Duncan mentioned, definitely started as cold archive, uh, backup target, um, driven from you know, driven from the cost, all that stuff. But I think that's uh, shifting right now, especially around um the iot so another top big topic uh, now i see more often is all around uh, analytic workload whether it's target for you know iot uh media streaming all that stuff right and then also um active tiering instead of archiving active tiering is also becoming really popular and i think this fits really well with our you know fabric pool offering so um, from cold archive into more uh, active tiering, uh, analytic workload, um, HPC, um, streaming workload, app uh, application storage. I think those are kind kind of uh, the things that uh, customers are really interested, in. and uh, I think that's the where the market is going to.
0: So, so given that S three is a standard protocol, um, do we fit into other competitor tierings? platforms, right? I mean, we can tier from Fabric Pool, but I mean, other platforms that speak S3, can they tier to Storage Grid as well?
3: Yes, generally, um, it, because S3 is the pretty much standard protocol, de facto standard of optic storage, um, any IS vendor that is supposed to speak S3 uh, should work really well with Storage Grid as well. Uh, with that said, I mean, there, we, we do have process to validate and test um, and to make sure everything works, because there might be some APIs that might not be supported on on either platform, right?
1: Luke, you mentioned uh, H HPC. I've always thought of this as being he, he mentioned analytics. A Big very, difference. Very slow. <laughs> as Duncan, you know, mentioned uh, before, you know, when people first thought about this, they thought of it as you know things you'd never read again. It, it was basically the attic for your data but now that we have all this focus on utilizing these big data lakes using it to do things like train artificial intelligence how performant is a typical deployment and is that something you you architect when you're building the solution
3: yeah absolutely i mean there's uh, there's definitely performance uh, besides the capacity perspective in, in in order to go through the proper design and and the correct design around the solution uh, all the solutions, right? But um, and that's where the storage grid focus has been lately about optimizing the performance because um, you know, as we mentioned, we see a lot more workload um, besides the backup target or, or archive, right? So whether it's a fabric pool um, could be HPC, maybe related with more Hadoop or, or um, you know, general um, email repository like DOPCOT has been more popular work uh, load I've seen a lot. So this is where we invest a lot in terms of increasing the performance. Um, so on the software side as well, and, and I think uh, Duncan might, you might be able to mention it later on that about increase of, of performance around 11.2 release. As well as the brand new appliance um, sg 6060 that we announced, um, you know we've seen anywhere from two to three more times uh, performance, especially around a small object workload. Right? Yeah, and, and so anywhere from yeah four to two hundred fifty-six
2: K. And, I, size. I, and yeah. I think it's important to differentiate how we define performance in the world of object storage versus maybe more traditional performance definitions in, you know, what people think of as kind of OLTP-type workloads where performance is about, you know,
1: um,
2: really high-performance, low-latency mixes of reads and writes and updates, yeah, you that, know, that's, the, the IOPs. That's, that's, that's more
1: my world in performance. Yeah. We live in NVMe land or even now with MaxData in memory bus land where we're talking about tens of nanoseconds of latency. And, and I, I don't expect we're going
2: to get that. We're not. But what we do get with object and, and you know, storage grid is an example of a scale-out arp- architecture that as you're adding capacity to the, to the grid, whether it's these new appliances or existing appliances or software-defined nodes, you're simultaneously adding capacity and performance to the grid. And the performance is really a function of throughput. So you can think of it as objects per seconds or megabytes per second. And, and, you know, an individual activity against the object store, you still might have, you know, tens to hundreds of milliseconds in latency depending on where things are sitting. But, you know, once you start that thing moving and streaming from multiple nodes in parallel, you can drive tremendous amounts of overall throughput. So in use cases like media and entertainment or a lot of these use cases that are dealing with more streaming-type workloads, Object is extremely performant.
1: So, so your uh, access would not be going to a single host and and retrieving these things. You're it, going to this namespace and all the hosts. Yeah. So the namespace um, the
2: namespace spans lots of nodes, and and we're you know we're optimized optimized to make the right decision on where we're going to pull things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even pulling fractions of things. Right. There's an option within the S3. Um, Spec to do what we call a byte offset or a range read, where I say, hey, there might be this 5-terabyte file. I only need this 100 meg from the middle, right? So we can be optimized in that fashion. And, in fact, that byte offset or range read is one of the things that Fabric Pool does. So when Fabric Pool writes into the object store, it aggregates a bunch of these cold 4K waffle blocks together, writes a big object into the object store. We love big objects, so that writing is going to be very efficient. And then when it comes time to do an individual recall, it's going to do a byte offset or range read. And this is something that Luke mentioned. You know, that's a performance area we've been specifically targeting, knowing how important Fabric Pool is. Um, And we've made great great uh, performance advances in the last couple of releases and when we start talking about 11.2 I can tell you what we've done there but focused in
1: that workload so you brought BitTorrent to untap nice (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and
0: the use case for that byte offset range would be basically you're watching a movie and you want to go back to a certain segment of that movie and you go back to that segment of the movie and it pulls it probably from that object right
2: yeah so certainly in media workloads you know the the ability for media asset managements or mams to be able to not have to read a 5 terabyte 8k file out but instead be able to get to what they need is is that's an element of performance
0: right? Nice. so i'm going to give you some free marketing advice you know you're free of charge take it with you what you will but new slogan for storage grid needs to be i like big objects and i cannot lie
2: i think i think i have a splunk shirt that says <laughs> something like that already oh, okay <laughs>
0: Cool. Unoriginal thought. Luke, you had something to say.
3: Yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that uh, a lot of uh, applications are now becoming object-friendly as well. So similar to how Fabric Pool does, you know, keeping the hot data in SSD pool, um, you know, a lot of applications have some kind of caching layer. So sometimes it could be reading it directly from object storage, but sometimes it could cache it and stream it. So a combination... Uh, and 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 so it's not all about increasing the performance on the object storage side, but how the application layer handles the you know the behavior of the object storage as well.
0: Okay, so we've alluded quite a bit to eleven point two here, so I think we should just let that cat out of the bag now. Let's start talking about what's in eleven point two with Storage Grid.
1: Yes, please. Yes.
0: So who wants to kick that off?
2: I I'll, I'll take that. I've got my notepad here with Ooh, all my cheat notes. Yeah, all animal. Is,
0: is that notepad? paper page considered an object?
2: Uh, it, it absolutely could be scanned and <laughs> Become you know, the, meta, the metadata tag would be belongs to old guy on the third floor. Right? There we go. <laughs> guy who still uses paper. <laughs> yes. Go. Um, so for folks that don't, don't know, Storage Grid does a full feature release every six months. And and these are big features, a lot of content. Um, we've been doing this um, since the release of 10.0 Uh, This release that's coming out now is 11.2. I'll I'll jump to performance first, just because we've talked about this a little bit already. But um, we're already good, and we're much better. So uh, regardless of your deployment method, apples to apples, looking at, you know, this uh, appliance X to appliance X, you're going to see 2 to 3X and maybe even 4X performance improvements in workloads similar to uh, Fabric Pool. Uh, and that's coming off of 11.1, where we also had performance improvements. So this is, this is kind of a reflection of when we steer the, you know, David Schmidt's development organization, when, when they have a very clearly articulated problem that they're going to solve, they get to it. And the, the big results in, in 11.2 in that area. Um, some, some kind of feature visible uh, f- stuff that came out in 11.2... Uh, we're doing more and more business in the public sector and and we're also seeing a lot of the security requirements in the public sector start to appear in things like financial services as well so we've we've put a quite a bit of focus on security uh, we we're, we're releasing uh, multi-factor authentication in 11.2 as enabled by saml um, when whoever wants the decoder ring that's a uh, secure Assertion Markup Language, or something like that. Maybe Security Assertion Markup. Whatever everyone calls it, SAML. Google it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so this will help satisfy requirements for MFA for for grid administrators. Um, we are the most cloud connected. The the best set of feature functionality for hybrid cloud uh, object storage platform in the market as acknowledged by every one of the analysts that covers us. And we've extended that, the, that set of capabilities uh, one more time with 11.2, and we've added essentially native Glacier integration to the product. So if you want to have a policy that says, hey, you know, I, not only do I really not care about Dan's stuff, I don't even want it on premises, I'm going to...
1: Sounds like my wife.
2: Yeah, I'm going to put it in uh, you know, the equivalent of throwing Dan's luggage out the window. This is the um, take and put your objects that are going to be very cold up into Amazon. Use a bucket policy to put them into Glacier um, where you can get that Glacier level of pricing. Um, The tricky part about Glacier is the restores, knowing that when I ask for something. You you
1: don't want to. You can check in any time you want, but you don't want to check out. It could take, yeah. California. California. (laughs) And
2: this is is how they deliver the value, right? But uh, it could be hours uh, or more uh, to get something back. So this ability to do what's called a post-object restore was integrated into the product. So uh, that's coming in 11.2 as well. Those are kind of the big ones. So multi-factor authentication, the Glacier, and the performance increases. Um, yeah, and so it, it's, it's not just
0: the slowness. It's also the cost of well, pulling it, it back.
1: It's the cost is, is is why.
0: Well, I mean, it's both, right? It takes a while, but it also is really expensive. <laughs> anyway, continue.
1: Um, the other thing, and this was actually
2: released ahead of 11.2, and we announced this at Insight this year, but for those that were not paying attention or didn't have a chance to Step by our booth. Uh, we have a new member of the appliance family for Storage Grid, um, the SG six thousand series, and the first member of it is the SG sixty sixty. First thing to say is for all of the, you, all of you out there that have existing SG five thousand series appliances, this is not a replacement. This is a new kind of performance point within the portfolio. It does it does not replace it. It doesn't end of life or availability, any of the other appliances, we're still selling both and they both have specific needs that people would use them. But if you are in one of these workloads that Luke was talking about that might require um, high concurrency, small object kind of workloads, maybe in a IoT or analytics workload, the 6060 is a beefy machine. This is 192 gig of RAM, uh, 40 cores, uh, it's a hybrid array so it's got a couple of SSDs in there along with 58 nearline SAS drives um, so we've we've already seen some pretty good uptake of this platform as well
0: so I know storage grid can run on a variety of platforms why would I run on an appliance versus a, you know a regular standalone server or even a container what would, what would be the benefit there
2: uh, it's about simplicity um, for the most part so uh, I'd say and, and I'll let Luke Feel free to call me out if I'm wrong here, Luke. But a lot of our kind of POCs and pilots, people do software defined. They'll just throw throw up a storage grid environment in uh, VMware or Docker containers in bare metal and Linux. But when it comes time to deploy at scale, and now all of a sudden we're talking about you know multi petabytes, it is just so much simpler to have this. You know, our, say our fifty seven sixty appliance as an example, four rack units. 60 drives, 12 terabyte drives, integrated compute, storage, everything one black box, box just rack and stack, and I'm not managing Linux kernels or our hypervisors or separate compute and storage stacks. It's so that's what we see. Um, you know, the larger portion of our deployments are are definitely appliances. Um, the exception to that is we do have some customers that have the competency to manage huge amounts of bare metal, namely some very large technology companies. And for them, hey, bare metal is the way to go. We're already doing this kind of white box-ish thing in other areas. I'm glad you give us an option storage grid. That's the way we're going to do it.
0: So with that particular thought in mind, I mean, is the cost that much different between doing like a, an appliance versus a white box solution? Or is it, you know, it's kind of similar to where it really doesn't matter?
2: So, you know, that's one of the things that changes all the time. Um, The last time I saw a kind of TCO analysis done, we were actually cheaper even at the procurement side of a comparable white box solution, especially when you look at what most people are doing, which is in a VMware-based deployment, and you have to take into account software as well. Um, But what I found is even when someone comes and says, hey, listen, This XYZ white box is actually cheaper per gig of raw storage than your appliance. Why would I buy your appliance? The the TCO of the management of this solution over time with appliances versus, again, managing this separate Linux environment and and so on, it, it, it becomes obvious. I've got a media customer in Europe that I use as an example quite a bit that's managing I want to say, and you know these guys, Luke. I, I want to say they're close to forty or fifty petabytes now, and they're managing that whole environment with one third of a head count. Is that is that ring That's true? true. Yep. yep. So they cut a guy into three pieces. Exactly. That's horrible. <laughs> I mean, they do things so much differently in Europe. No, he just has really long lunch, lunch breaks. Oh, there we yeah. go.
3: <laughs> I think Duncan nailed on on these topics. So it's all about simplicity, uh, you know, reduce up costs in terms of managing it. I, you know, I, I did have few customers wanted to do because the, the corporate you know initiative was going into all white box type solutions going forward. But you know, they when they do that, it's all about cost, and they they don't really think about you know, okay, how many people is needed now to uh, manage these stuff, and and also or so you know they become challenging to automate stuff with all this uh, different hardware right so
1: yeah um, it's, it's well it's difficult to yeah. automate a, a hardware failure which you're far more likely to see in if you've got thousands of white boxes versus an, an engineered engineered solution yep
0: so that's yep. interesting that we bring up hardware failures um, what happens in a hardware failure with storage grid like how do we how do we get around that
2: uh so we did, and this is another um, kind of good story to illustrate this. We did a BOF, a Birds of a Feather, um, at an Insight. Not, I think not this last one, the one before. And we had a bunch of Storage Grid customers go up there. And it wasn't about Storage Grid. It was really about folks that had done a first big adoption of object to, to answer questions about what this was like. And one of the customers that was up there was a, a fairly sizable service provider, and another service provider in the audience said, Hey, you know, this question's for Bob. Hey, um, describe, you know, how you handled a SEV1 outage with your storage grid environment. And the guy just kind of vapor locked up on stage for a minute. He goes, Well, you know, in this environment, there really aren't, there's almost no such thing as a SEV1 outage because you can lose multiple nodes you can lose drives he he gave the example that a backhoe had dug up a wan connection to another data center that was part of their namespace oh my goodness their customers never had a clue that there was any disruption at all cuz this this scale out architecture we can lose data centers we can lose multiple nodes we can lose racks if it's properly put together you know, you're talking about six plus nines of availability easily and 16 plus nines of durability. So how do you handle stuff? Yeah, I mean, stuff, this is hardware. And, it, and worse than that, you know, it's hardware that occasionally people touch. So when people touch stuff, it breaks. But the end result is it, it's generally not visible to any of the applications or end users.
1: That's, a, that's
0: amazing. So, not token ring is yep. what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, I've kicked the plug out of a mouth before. <laughs> Oops.
3: I think this is where the, the beauty of the ILM policy comes in, right? Um, it d- depends on where the failure domain and, and, and what the customer is trying to accomplish. You can predefine those rules and, and let that policy uh, take care in the background. Yep. Right? So, it's a f- whole site down, one node down, or a combination of that, right?
2: So for Dan, the example we keep using, if it's Dan's data, I could architect it such that a single node goes down and he loses access to all of his data. But for everybody else, you could lose data centers, anything,
1: right?
0: Well, it's called the Dan punishment model.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: So we must punish Dan for his transgressions, whatever they may be.
1: I don't know what it was, but I'm sure I deserve it.
0: So as far as the 11.2 release, that came out in the winter, I guess, December, January?
2: 11, 11.2 uh, came out February 28th. Okay,
0: February 28th. So another six months, we're looking at August timeframe, right?
2: Yeah. So we always target one release to be right around Insight. So you can think of the next ones when, when you're making your travel plans for Insight, you should also be writing in your notebook, hey, I should figure out what just came out in Storage Grid. So basically (laughs) sign up for all the Storage Grid sessions. That is, uh, we had over 1,000 folks in Storage Grid sessions between Barcelona and Las Vegas across uh, 28 sessions. And if you
0: can't make it to Insight, you could always subscribe to the Tech on Tap podcast. And, you know, we have Storage Grid episodes all the time. So, yeah, there's that. Well. well,
1: we'll also be at Insight, too, so we'll, we'll make sure to grab Duncan there. Well, yeah, absolutely. Ben. And, and I mean, Luke yeah. is almost always there as well. And
2: well, yeah. Luke is ever-present. Yeah. Luke is like a human storage <laughs> grid. I don't know. Where, where are you today, Luke, by the way?
3: Uh, I'm in uh, beautiful, sunny Seattle. Ah. Oh, is
0: it actually sunny right now?
3: <laughs> it's snow, sunny. It's is cold. the snow melted? It's kind of... Snow is uh, all melted now, but the weather is still cold.
0: I can't imagine being in the snow there because there's like all these hills and like trying to drive in that. Driving in the rain in Seattle was hard, but snow? Man, you just stay home.
3: Yeah, we we, we don't we don't Yeah, we just usually shut shut everything down.
0: (laughs) Same. Yeah, we also buy all the bread and milk. Do you guys do that?
1: It's supposed to snow like on (laughs) Tuesday. Supposed to snow on like Tuesday. Is that
0: like just a cultural like you know anomaly? Like everybody just buys bread and milk to make milk milk sandwiches. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's it. <laughs> <Or Costco laughs> so, you got to dunk your milk chickens, in the, right? Or dunk your <laughs> bread <laughs> in the milk.
0: You got to NC dunk that milk. That's right. NC dunk. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, anything else we want to talk about, Luke or Duncan?
1: No, I just
2: uh, you know, thanks, Luke, for taking the time. Um, you know, for those of you that don't know him, uh, you know, Luke has been probably the premier one of the premier architects for the the product out there. He's a pretty humble guy, but he's architected probably hundreds of petabytes of storage grid deployments at some of our largest customers around the world. So so thanks for taking the time, Luke.
1: Yeah, thank you.
3: No, no, thank you. I think it's all about teamwork because uh, I don't think that could have been successful without help from engineering as well as the you know, the product team as well.
0: That's funny. You mentioned teamwork. Me and Dan were talking about the uh, show Wonder Pets. Do
2: you guys have kids? Uh, they're in college and grad school. <laughs> so your
0: kids probably haven't watched, well, your kids might watch Wonder Pets, but it might be a totally different context. I think
2: Bird Box was the last pet movie we all bird
0: watched. Box. <laughs> have you seen the big Bird Box? The, no, the, the, the no.
3: But I'm going to have to go. <laughs> You're going to have to see that. It's
0: really good. Luke, do you have kids?
3: I have kids, but they're all kind of growing up. there <sighs> and falling
0: down. Well, anyway, Wonder Pets has a theme song, and one of the, the yes. lines is, what's going to work, teamwork. So what's going to work? I wanted Dan to sing it. That's Team what I wanted to do. Teamwork. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, so um, that's it. Storage Grid 11.2 is out. Uh, be sure to download it and get it today if you have Storage Grid, or if you want to evaluate it. We can find it on the NetApp site, right?
2: Uh, yeah, your, your SE can get you an evaluation copy. Uh, you can... You know, load that app in VMware or Docker containers, and and go to town. Yep,
0: awesome. excellent. All
2: right, Luke. If you want to reach you again, how do we do that?
3: Yeah, my email will be best mun at netapp dot com.
2: <laughs> and Duncan uh, at nc dunk uh, at Twitter, and it's uh, dunk with a C. All right, and Dan go heels.
1: Uh, at Dan
2: Isaacs. Why do you keep saying these things? Are you trying to hurt my feelings?
0: <laughs> Just Are you trying it. to hurt me? All right, guys, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us all about Storage Grid. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at podcast.netup.com or send us a tweet at NetUp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Duncan Moore and Luke Munn for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening.